Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Namaste, my friends. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you back to your practice, Yoga Revealed Podcast. We are so excited to have you here today with us. We have a profound interview to share with you. Nikki Doan, the co founder of Maya Yoga Studio on the beautiful island of Maui, Hawaii. Nikki is deeply dedicated to sharing the transmission of yoga as she was taught from Patabi Joyce and BKS Iyengar. And it is an internal practice. So, in my mind, I have the responsibility now of reminding people that the, the surface, that, that's nothing, that's a starting point. Like the journey is back inside, like how do we take it from the external back to the internal? And you know, you, you've been in a couple of the classes, you see how specific I am with the directions because for me, alignment of the body influences and affects the alignment of the mind. Enjoy this refreshing interview with Nikki Doan as we stay strongly tethered to the connection of yoga as it has been passed down from teacher to student to you. Namaste, my friends, and welcome to Yoga Revealed Podcast. This is Alec, and we hope you're having an amazing day wherever you are. It brings me such pleasure, and it is such a blessing to introduce Nikki Doan, who is a masterful teacher and an incredibly dedicated practitioner. And it is just so clear when you hear her teach and you hear her and you see her move in her practice. And Nikki, thank you so much for transmitting your wisdom to the Hanuman Yoga community and to the Yoga Revealed podcast community. It is such an honor. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I'm soaked. Yes. So, for maybe those who have not heard of your name before or where you're coming from, can you give us a synopsis of, man, how yoga revealed itself to you in your life, maybe pre-Nikki? Ooh, pre-Nikki. Interesting. Well, that's funny you say that because when I first met my main teacher, who's Patabi Joyce, the very first day, you know, when you go to Mysore, it used to be that, you know, everybody said, oh, you you just go in, you just start doing your practice, and at a certain point, Gurdji's going to stop you. And that's where you're going to stop and he'll tell you to lay down, take rest, and tomorrow you'll go to that place and then keep going. And I was like, okay. And I went in there so kind of nervous. I mean, I didn't even know the entire sequence of primary series when I went there. 
but I memorized it on the airplane. So I get, I get to my store. I was like, had my little paper and people were like, you can't have your paper in there either. And I was like, oh shit, man, I better know this. Oh, sorry. this. Okay. So I get there and the first day they're like, okay, you know, you take this room. Now, literally the yoga room was as big as this room and it fit. There were eight people, maybe just a little bit longer, four and four. And we'd all face the same direction. So they happened to put me that day in the front. So I was in a corner facing the wall. So I couldn't really see them. And I'm doing the practice and I'm so focused on on remembering what the next thing is. And, you know, and they're speaking in Canada. And at a certain point, I think it was like around Janashir Shasana, I start hearing Guruji say something like, blah, 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 in Canada. And then his grandson, Sharat, replies, and, 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 you know, I don't know if they're talking about me, but I just, like, keep going. And they're like, blah, 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 back and forth. And then finally, you know, Guruji, you know, I, I didn't understand what he said, but it was sort of to the effect of, like, okay, fine, whatever. And I did the entire primary series on the very first day. And I remember after the, the practice, you know, talking to him, and he said, you very good samskaras. And I really didn't know what that meant. And he said, no, you yoga many lifetimes. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. That feels pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we're going to talk pre-Nikki. I mean, it probably was. And, you know, of course, for, you know, when people find yoga now, you know, we we think we've found it. But really, yoga's finding you. Mm. So I think that's how it was. Because from my very first class, which I took when I was in university, I was 18, and they offered yoga for gym credit at the University of Massachusetts. That's where I went to college. And I was a hippie kid. I was a deadhead, really, you know, traveled around with the Grateful Dead. And that was where I saw people doing yoga. I had never, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, oh, I associated, okay, yoga with hippies and Grateful Dead and vegetarianism. I was like, oh, they have it. I'm going to do it. And I remember when I got the schedule, it was, this was the second term, so it was January, winter, really cold. And I get my schedule, and I was not a morning person, which I know doesn't really align with yoga. But I get the schedule, and I was like, yoga, 8 o'clock in the morning? It was like Hatha yoga. And I'm like, fuck, really? 8 o'clock is like, okay, this better be good. You know, I remember setting the alarm and waking up, like, oh, my God. And, of course, it was, like, all the way on the other side of the campus, and I'm trudging through. And I get there to the class, and... It was the most incredible thing I had ever experienced. It felt so familiar to me. And I've always, I've always described it as, um, it felt like putting on really comfortable shoes that just fit mm. perfectly. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, what is this? And I remember, it was like an hour, you know, and I, I honestly can't even, I remember the woman's name was um, Carolyn, but you know, I've, I've never been able to find, like, I'd love find to find her, her and yeah, thank her. It's yeah, like, oh, what happened. it's so true. And I left there so lit up. Like I wanted to go tell somebody, I'm like, oh, I found this great thing. And you know, none of my other friends were morning people too. And I remember going to somebody's dorm room and knocking on the door and they're like, Ugh. I was like, Oh, I went to this yoga class. It was so awesome. And they're like, can you come back in like a couple of hours and tell us about it then? But, um, I didn't miss a class all semester and yeah, I just, I just loved it. I just knew that I had found, um, yeah, what, what I was, what I was looking for, you know, I was raised Catholic and, you know, kind of left the church when I started college. It just, it just never resonated, but I love the spirituality. Mm. So I was like, there has to be a realm mm. to be a spiritual being and express that without the dogma of religion. Mm. So for me, that's really, mm. that's what it was. That's an awesome was like, intro. Aww. Wow. So <laughs> when, 
university planted this seed of yoga and that just like sparked and lit you up. Yeah. What was the gap to being like Mysore going? Yeah. Well, there, you know, that was my first year of college. I did university in four years. So they offered three different yoga classes. They had Hatha yoga, they had Kundalini yoga, and they had Iyengar yoga. And so after, you know, I took the Hatha class, I was like, well, let me try Kundalini. I didn't know one from the other. Yeah. And it was, there was actually a Kundalini ashram in the town where I went to school. And I remember coming to the class and and it was like these sweet people, but you know, they're fully wearing the white clothes, the turban. I was like, Ooh, like thinking, okay, here's the cult of yoga, you know, cause this is like 1988, you know, I was like, yoga was weird. People were like, Ooh, nobody, it wasn't popular. It really wasn't popular. And, but the people were so nice. I was like, Oh, this is cool. And you know, breath of fire and all that stuff was a little out there for me. Um, and the chanting, you know, they did a lot of chanting and it was interesting cause I re- like, wasn't ready for that part, mm. you know, like I thought they were cool, but it didn't resonate the way it does now. I just wasn't quite ready for that. And I remember we did a, we did like a two day silent retreat at their ashram, you know, we're like right in as a college kid, to, as a college kid, which was huge. And, and it was the full Kundalini thing, you know, get up at four in the morning with the gong, take a cold shower with almond soap. And it was like all this, you know, making kitchery. And we went for a walk. I was like, Oh my God, that was freaking intense. I actually think I left there and went straight to a party. Like we left there. I was with a girlfriend. We couldn't, when we got out of there, we're like, yeah, I'm sure we, I'm sure we partook of, of some mind altering substances too. So it was like, we're really open. Anyway, they were, they were awesome. But I remember at the end of the semester, I was like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't think that was really for me. Like those people were awesome, but let me try this other one. So I was hanging out in my, at my dorm with Mm. a few other uh, friends and we were picking our schedule for the next year. And I was like, Oh, well, there's one yoga class I haven't taken. It's Iyengar yoga. And one of my girlfriends is like, Oh, don't take that class. Like, it's horrible. The guy's so mean. He kicks people. He does this. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. I'm not going to that class. Turns out Eddie Modestini was the teacher of that <laughs> class who I ended up marrying later. And yeah, Crazy, but so I didn't take the class. You know, I was like, Shit, I'm not gonna take that class." And obviously, it was meant to be like I wasn't supposed to do that yet. And you know, I just kind of played around with yoga, just with my friends, casually for the next couple years. And then my last year of college, I was living in a house with a bunch of girls, and one of them was taking Eddie's class. And she was coming home, and she was teaching us Surya Namaskar. And unbeknownst to me. Eddie had met Tim Miller the year before and really started teaching more Ashtanga yoga, was really moving away from the Iyengar yoga. So what she was coming home with was awesome. She was basically like slowly teaching us the primary series. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And she's like, well, take the class with me next semester. It was my last semester of college. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I heard that guy's really kind of not nice. She's like, no, no, it's cool. And this is what he's teaching. I was like, okay, what the hell? What do I have to lose? And uh, so I signed up for it, and I remember walking into the class late. I'm always late. No one will ever learn anything about time management from me. I always, I always apologize at the beginning of things because I'm like, oh, I'm not very good with that. I have way too much information. But anyway, I walk in. They're already all sitting down, and I remember it was winter. So I'm like taking off all my, you know, layers of clothes, and I turn around and I saw Eddie sitting at the front of the room, and. I just got this crazy, like, electrical 
flash seeing him. I had never experienced that before. And um, I, I just, I just knew I'd have some connection with wow. this person. Like, yeah, it was really, it was, it was electric. And then of course I had a crush on my yoga teacher that's as fun. happens from time to time. But what I really loved is what he was teaching. And he, it, you know, it was very little Iyengar yoga, even though he sort of wove that into the practice. But he taught us the primary series. And at the end of the semester, he brought Tim Miller out to do a workshop. So I took the workshop with a few of my friends. I was like, this is amazing. And he said, well, I live in Encinitas. And, you know, why don't you come out and, you know, study with me this summer? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm going on this road trip with my friends. And he was like, well, this is the studio. It's in this town. You know, if you're there, come see me. I'm like, okay. So I took this road trip with my friends. And we actually went through Encinitas. And um, I went to the studio. And they said, oh, you know, you, you, you just missed him. And his friend, Eddie Modestini, is visiting. I'm like, are you kidding me, Eddie? And they're like, yeah, but they just left to go to Maui. They're going to Maui for two weeks. I was like, oh. And, you know, I, I had, I had you know, been hanging out with Eddie just a little bit. But, you know, when I ended school, I figured I'd never see him again. It was like, okay, I'm on to whatever I'm on to. I had actually studied Russian in university. Mm-hmm. And I was all set to go get a job in Russia as a translator. Yeah, this is right after the Berlin Wall fell. This is like communism was down. There was so much work and, you know, money to be made in Russia. I'd grown up living overseas. My dad worked in um, the State Department, so he was a diplomat. So I grew up moving all over the world. Hmm. And he had kind of gotten me some interviews, and they said, you know, the job is ready in January. So by now, you know, it's like August. So I'm like, okay, here I am in Southern California. By that time, I was so sick of the people I was traveling with. You know, it was like my best friend and her boyfriend and me. So it's like a recipe for disaster, right? Yeah. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. So I was like, maybe it's my time to hop off the bus. And um, it worked out that I was able to get kind of a work trade position at the studio. I remember I was cleaning the studio in exchange for yoga classes. Tim came back. So I was studying with him and I was house sitting for someone, just kind of, you know, trying to make it work. And and then Tim, uh, Eddie showed up. And they both left for Mysore. And I was at that point, you know, I was definitely practicing Ashtanga yoga. I was like, oh, Mysore, it sounds really cool. I'd love to go there. But, you know, I didn't have any money and whatever. And then Eddie went and he came back after like three weeks. He got really sick in India on that first trip. He came home. Well, home. He came to Encinitas. Healed himself. And he was like, look, Louis, we definitely had energy. And he said... I'm going back. I was like, you're going back to India? Seriously? He's like, yeah, why don't you come with me? I said, well, because I don't have any money. He's like, I'll lend you the money. I was like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> and I remember um, I, I had always had a diplomatic passport because of my dad's job. And I had just turned 22. Passport was no longer valid. And Eddie was like, I'm leaving in a week. Like, I'll loan you the money for a ticket. I was like, oh, God, my passport. And I called my dad. And I was like, Dad, can you hook me up? you know anybody? He's like, oh, you're in San Diego. Yeah, my friend works at the consulate in Tijuana. So I remember I borrowed somebody's car, drove down to the border, walked across, took a cab to the consulate, met my dad's friend. I had a passport in an hour and a half. They like totally rubber stamped me, put me in a car, sent me back to the border, walked over, took the car. Yeah, and then I remember I I flew up to San Francisco to get my visa because you need to get a visa at the consulate. 
And I mean, it was so crazy. It was all just like, boom, boom, boom. Within a week, I'm on a plane with Eddie on my way to Mysore. And like memorizing the (laughs) sequence on the plane. So it really, it was just like this crazy snowball, you know. And so being in India, you know, and being with Eddie, I mean, you know, we we really, we we fell in love there and we were together for, you know, many years. We're we're not together anymore, but we still work together. We have Mm. two kids together Mm. in a studio, but... Eddie was really a huge part of getting me to my source, so I'll always be grateful. Life for really, that. life really conspired to. It really did reveal yoga to you, and it really did. And I remember calling my parents, and I was like, um, "I'm going to go to India," <laughs> and my mother's like. Ah! screaming because it's funny I grew up living overseas and the one post that my mother never would let my dad take was India because you know oh these stories oh it's so dirty and people get sick and I remember India was like don't ever take a post in India (laughs) and when I'm like I'm going to India and they were like oh my god and I remember my mother I called her the night before this pre-cell phone right Mm -hmm. so I was like I had to call my mom I was like okay I'm leaving tomorrow and she's like you're leaving tomorrow well did you get all your shots and I was like shots supposed to get shot I was just started crying on the phone I'm not kidding you I was like oh it's all good it'll be cool she's like oh my god anyway I get off the phone with her and uh my dad was like well, what about the jobs I said well you told me they they're not even starting until January he's like okay well that's true I'm like it's the beginning of November you know call me at the hotel I have the jobs come through I'll come back of course obviously I blew off the jobs of course Stayed in India, and that was like it just wow. completely put me on a different wow. trajectory. Mm. Who were the other eight people in that room? With you. Who were the other eight people in that room? Gosh, let me think about. It. There's a couple people from France. Nobody. I don't. I think if you there were was there anybody. With Not that trip. I see. But I met him on the next trip. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, who was there? Ricky Hyman, who's an amazing guy from Maui. I don't know if you've had a chance to meet him. John Smith. Was another big Ashtanga teacher. He lives in Sebastopol. And it was Johnny's first trip there. Ricky had been studying, you know, like part of their family since the early 70s. So, um, yeah, but it was really small. This amazing guy named Rolf, who's, mm-hmm. do you know who Rolf is? Yeah, amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, Rolf is, had been living in India already for like 20 years. I mean, he looked like an Indian. The, the shape of his body, mm-hmm. you know, he spoke like mm-hmm. three different languages. Indian, you know, different uh, different mm. languages, and um, he lives in Goa. Anyway, it was amazing mm. to meet him. There was a couple people from Germany, and a couple people from France. And mm. I remember it was funny. There was like well, eight people in the room, and I think there were like twelve or thirteen people total in Mysore at that time studying with Batabi Joyce. Wow. Yeah, it was really small. And I remember as Christmas was approaching, everybody started talking about. The French are coming. The French are coming, and we're all like, "What? What is like? What is that?" And this French teacher, Philippe, and his and teaching partner, this woman, uh, Brigitte, they apparently they came every year at Christmas and brought like, God forbid, five students. You know, we're all like, "Ah, it's gonna get so crowded here." You know, I mean, now there's like 600 people at a time in my store. Now it's a much bigger room, but um, it, I was so blessed to have that intimate time mm. with him because. Um, yeah, I'd actually, can I tell you a story about being Please. there? It was, was a really special story for me. So, um, you know, I told you Eddie had gone there, you know, for about a, a month, three weeks before um, I went. And he had been an Iyengar yoga teacher. So he told Patabi Joyce that. And 
I'm not sure if he shared this with you when, when you interviewed him, but Guruji would give him information that he didn't give to a lot of other people. He was like whispering in his ear, like the medical benefits of all these poses because he knew what Eddie's background was. And it was like, okay, like, you know, I don't give this to everybody, but you know, this is for you. And so when he came back and brought me with him, I think Guruji assumed that I was an Iyengar student as well, but I wasn't, you know, I really had not done any Iyengar mm. yoga. And, but you know, when, when you're there, first of all, you go so early in the morning and, you know, some people fly through their practice, but you know, then you have the rest of the day, like, what are you going to do? So for me, I was like, I want to be in this room as long as I can and just like soak up this energy. So I, I would slow it down, you know, instead of doing like five A's and five B's, I did 12 A's and 12 B's to start. Yeah. And for me, like the sweating, it's kind of hard to get it going. So I needed that, you know, and I would stay in the poses, like just loving it being in there and I remember one morning because from the yoga room it's kind of like this room there was a a door that went into his house because at the time you know Mm -hmm. his yoga room was in his house I guess it still is and so he's in and out of the kitchen and something was probably frustrating him you know in his home life and he walked in I remember he walked in his hands on his hips and he looked down at me and I was like, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the practice, like working really hard and doing some forward bends so intense and he looks at me he's like, Nikki why are you going so slow? And I was like, he's like, he's like, you, you, Iyengar student. And I remember it was, it was like, it was like such a, such a, not a compliment, you know? And I'm like, and I just felt my body like start to vibrate, start to shake. And I'm telling you, it was the first time I I realized there was a connection between your body and your mind because my body was open. It was flexible. Ashtanga yoga was fun. You know, I didn't realize that there was this mind. I didn't get that. I was like, oh, this feels good. My body can stretch. You know, I like it. It's cool. You know, it's like, I like the philosophy, but I just, I just hadn't had that experience yet. And I just, I just felt so insulted. You know, and it was kind of an insult and, you know, like speed it up. And I remember I, I, like, I just, I couldn't stop shaking. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm going to start crying. Like I know this. And, and I did, I started crying. And I remember I just jumped up, I grabbed my mat and I'm like sobbing like crazy and you know everybody's in the room and Guruji's like looking at me and I just grabbed my mat and I ran upstairs because the upstairs was where people would do their finishing poses mm. right by his <laughs> office and I remember I got up there and I got into Paschimottanasana which is a you know seated forward bend I'm laying on my legs sobbing like having a total cathartic meltdown and obviously pretty loud and you know sure everybody in the house can hear me because you know it was like this it was open and I'm like, oh, I hate him. He's so mean to me. Ah, you're like crazy. And then I remember Eddie came upstairs and he's like, um, Gurdjie wants to talk to you. I was like, I'm not talking to him. He's so mean to me. He called me this. And he's like, well, when you calm down, come downstairs. I was like, oh. And of course, the only way to leave the house was to go down the stairs by the room. So I took a while. And finally, you know, like I stopped crying and my face is probably all puffy. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to walk by. Like I'm mortified at this point. And I get my stuff and I go to walk down the stairs and Gurdjie's standing at the bottom of the stairs and he's looking up at me and he's like, Nikki, why crying? And I was like, oh, you were so mean to me. You call me an Iyengar student. And he's like, Nikki, you crying, I'm crying. You're smiling. I'm smiling. So I started crying more. Of course, it was like, oh, and he's like, come. And he brought me into the room 
and he used to have the stool that he would sit on. He's like, sit. I sat on the floor. He sat on the stool and he just put his hand on my head. And that was it. I mean, it was like the, the Shakti, the transmission right there. I mean, I get chicken skin every time I tell the story. Was so powerful. It was like, oh, that, this is why I'm here. Right here. And every day for the rest of, you know, I was there for another couple of months. At the end of my practice, I would come down and just sit next to that stool. And he just put his hand on my head. And that was it. I mean, it was like. I kept going back to my surf for that, right? For that love. It's like, yeah, it still makes me like, mm. yeah. So that's my favorite story with him. And that, that's when I was like, oh, this is my teacher. Mm. And I kept going back for that, for that love, for that connection. So being there at that time when it was still such a small scene was really a blessing, you know, mm. because now it, it is difficult to get close to them because there's so many people. Mm. So it was, yeah. So it seems that that connection, that experience truly imprinted you in a a very profound manner. How do you transmit such a connection that you held with your teacher to your students now? What's interesting because, you know, there's, there's all this talk these days, you know, is the age of the guru done? You know, and I'm I'm not saying that I'm a guru and I would never say that. That is not what it is. But that that intimacy, that potency of relationship, you know, even the way I start every class, I really acknowledge how important that student teacher relationship is and being respectful of each other. So I try to really be there for my students to listen to them, to hear them, to connect with them, to learn about who they are. You know, I'm all about connecting you know, an eye contact and, but I, but I don't want to be, I want to empower my students. I don't want them to feel like they, they need me to have the experience. Uh, Really all I'm, I'm I'm just making suggestions, right? Mm -hmm. As teachers, I think really that's all we can do. And if people resonate with me, great. You know, and if they don't, it's okay. There's so many wonderful teachers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that transmission, you know, it's just, it's love. It I mean, is. that's, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. So you got to put it out, right? We, we want to let love radiate. You know, Eddie taught me this actually. He's like, let love radiate without any concern for the results. And it's, uh, that's really how I try to approach teaching. Cause sometimes we can get intimidated, you know, like we've got these big conferences, there's a hundred people in there, you know, and sometimes people are like checking their phone or they just get up in the middle of a class and leave and, you know, and, and sometimes you want to take that personally, like, oh, they don't like me. You know, it's like maybe they had an appointment. Maybe they have to go. Maybe they don't feel good. Maybe, you know, so I've, I've really learned not to project my stuff onto them because often I'll, I'll be looking at somebody and they're, they're making all these faces in the class. And I'm thinking, oh, they hate this. And after the class, they're like, that was the greatest class I ever took. Thank you so much. I'm like, wow, that's such a good lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, we really don't know what is going on right so to watch the projecting i mean it's right there in the sutras too yeah. it's a fourth sutra if we start to do that stuff and project it you know the, the mm. negativity onto other people we're going to suffer so. speaking of uh big conferences mm. you know i uh, i've attended just a few 
large conferences, not as many as, as, as you, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from, from today's class and yesterday's class, you have this, very, you and Eddie have a beautiful way of holding the space. I find on the love, on the caliber of where Richard and Mary offer and where Annie Carpenter offers. Thank um, you. And, and it's just so methodical. And I find that there's less attention on performance. Oh yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know it's funny. America has has this incredible ability to just take the surface of everything, right? We look at yoga and it's like, you know, it's this very internal practice, right? Ultimately, that that's what it is. The Yoga Sutras, there's 196, only three relate to asana, right? So it really is about what's gone, the shit that's going on up here in our head, and yet. Americans have managed to take it to the external and just to the surface. The pants are cool. I'm wearing cool pants. I like these. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the craziest thing. It's like, oh, my God, we've taken it from this very internal experience to just the surface. You know, so so it's almost like we've 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 just created yoga as another sport. You know, and, and like we've got to we've got up level and we've got to, you know, make the pose cooler and. I, I really don't like it. I really, I just think it's wrong. And I think we're reaching a point in the yoga culture where this is starting to become the conversation. Like a lot of us, you know, as teachers who have been doing it a while, it's like, okay, where's the integrity here? I mean, you know, of course we want to have fun. There is an element of fun there, but it is also a discipline and it is an internal practice. So in my mind, I have the responsibility now of reminding people that the, the surface that, that's nothing. That's a starting point. Like the journey is back inside. Like how do we take it from the external back to the internal? And you know, you you've been in a couple of the classes. You see how specific I am with the directions because for me, alignment of the body influences and affects the alignment of the mind. For me, that's why it's so important. Not to mention misalignment and repetitive movement is a recipe for an injury, right? That's usually what it is. So, so much better to just keep the body aligned and just move slowly. You know, what it looks like from the outside doesn't matter. It's about the internal action and the experience, you know? And I I want to keep people safe, obviously, because like I mentioned in class earlier today, what happens or what I'm seeing is when people hurt themselves, when they get that sport mentality, no pain, no gain, you know, yoga is no pain, no pain. You know, it's like, it, it, it's no. I mean, maybe there's some suffering, but that's different than pain, right? Suffering sometimes mm-hmm. something we put on top of pain. But you can have pain without suffering and you can mm-hmm. suffer without being in pain. Um, so for me, like really keeping people safe keeps them doing yoga. Because when you first start, you don't have faith. You know, because I don't believe in blind faith. I don't think it's good, right? Faith comes from experience, from trust, from relationship, right? So if you're really starting out and you don't really have any faith in the practice and you get hurt, it's very easy to walk away from it, Mm. you know, and then blame yoga. You know, when people have a negative experience of something, they'll tell 30 people. When they have a positive, they might tell two. It's a funny thing, right? Like we, you know, we just love to complain. And so I really, I want to avoid that as much as I can. I want to keep people safe. I want them to develop that faith in the practice because it, it's, it's so profound. I mean, it's, it's changed my life. Everything I have in my life is from yoga. 
and I don't intend on stopping. You know, it's like my intention is like for the rest of your life and beyond. All right. So I want everybody to, you know, I, I really love what you said in class. You were like, yoga didn't break you. Yeah. The methodology of whatever yeah. Yeah. you were being offered. That yeah. is what hurts you. Yeah. The poses are perfect. It's not, it's not the pose. It's the manner in which you did it or the manner in which it was being taught. So that's why, again, that's, you know, so you how do we safe. become more learned in such a manner? Uh, that's a really good question. And, you know, I mean, I don't, again, I don't want to complain. I don't want to be negative because I love how popular yoga is. I love that so many people are doing it. Mm-hmm. But I do think the standards within teaching credentials needs to change in a huge way. I think that it's way too easy to get certified as a yoga teacher. You know, if you're going to be a professor of something, you got to go to university for years. You don't take 180 hours and boom, you're out there. You know, I mean, again, I teach those courses like because, you know, I mean, this is this is what it is. Mm. But um, I'm really looking forward to somebody coming in. Hopefully we have something to do with that and really making the standard much higher raising the bar it needs to be raised yeah because you know people can't come out of a take 500 hour training and suddenly then they're teaching teachers for me that's like that's nuts and it gives yoga a bad reputation right because if people aren't learned enough they're out there sharing information that isn't maybe right is hurting people and this is a big thing I've noticed I don't know if it's American but Mm. people are afraid to say I don't know you know it's like if a teach student asks you something and you don't know it, it's okay to say, I don't know. You know, hopefully that'll motivate you to learn, you know, and to figure out what it is. But I think there's some ego stuff and, you know, Humility. some of the answers. Yeah, exactly. When I hear some of the answers, oh, they told me to do this for this. I'm like, oh my God. But I think that teacher or person just felt like, oh, I, like I have to answer this person instead of saying, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. Right? That's how we remain students. So that's you, Nikki. What is, what are the roots of yoga, and how do you keep the thread alive in yeah. your own day? Well, the 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 roots of yoga obviously run very deep, and you and I were talking a little before we began. I mean, obviously, yoga started in India, in Tibet, and I felt very fortunate to go to the source very young in my yoga practice 22 wow i know what a blessing and i was the youngest person there by 10 years you know it was like there there weren't young people doing yoga then it was like you know i was always the youngest person in every class so like now i think this is so awesome when i see you know kids doing yoga and teenagers and people in their 20s it's so awesome because, you know, it used to be that people didn't find yoga until their 40s or 50s or their back was hurting, you know. Now people are really approaching it from a, a different perspective. So I love that. But um, I do think it's important to go to the source. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I, I love India, you know. And I lo- what I love about it so much, and again, being an American, you know, we've always, we've grown up with this idea of separation of church and state. Like, uh, you know, and spirituality is not really a part of the American culture. Whereas in India, it's just so deeply woven into the culture. There's temples on every corner. You know, there's there's like holy men walking around. People revere them. You know, it's there's so much respect for spiritual life there that that just felt so good to be around. 
And, you know, I remember going there and, and, you know, meeting Indian people and them saying, you know, what, you know, what are you doing here? And I tell them I came to study yoga and they were like, so respectful, like they could not believe that I had left America, like great America, to come all the way to India. So like at the time, you know, because yoga wasn't that popular then. They just thought that was incredible. Like you left your... So it was like, wow, look at this. It was such a different perspective. So for me, the roots really do run deep in the teaching, in, the, in what's known as the parampara, which is the lineage. Mm. Right? That's what that means. So it really is about the teacher and the student and the teachings connect the teacher to the students and the student to the teacher and you know it's it's all it's a big circle right it's all connected um what was the second part of that question do you remember the roots roots, of yoga and how do you keep the thread alive so for me obviously i started yoga with asana right like it was in my body and the experience i just told you you know i realized whoa there's a lot more to this it really like, wow, I had no idea how much it really would affect my mind. So that was kind of fascinating for me because the body stuff, you know, once it was easy, but it was certainly easier than, you know, it is for a lot of people. But the mental stuff for me and the emotional stuff, like, you know, I, I grew up in a family that just didn't really talk about a lot of stuff, you know, it was this like sort of avoid and practicing yoga, like I couldn't avoid that. And so anyway, as the, as the years have gone by and the practice deepened and I really started studying more of the philosophy and the, and the sutras, then I had kids, you know, and I was so attached to my asana practice. You know, Ashtanga yogis tend to be a little type A. We tend to be a little obsessed. Um, but I also was able to study Iyengar yoga. Very, like after the Mysore trip, I went to Italy to visit Eddie's dad with him and we met where I met an Iyengar yoga teacher who I ended up studying with for the next seven years. And I never quite understood why there was such a politicalization of these styles of yoga. It was stronger back then. Like if you did Ashtanga yoga, you couldn't do Iyengar yoga. Like they talked trash about it. And the same with the Iyengar yogis. They just like thought Ashtanga was just like jumping around. And the more I studied the systems and the more I did them, I should say, I was like, this is nuts, man. These, these systems complement each other. And then I found out they both had the same teacher. Krishnamacharya was like, oh my God, what the heck? So that always bummed me out that there was this like, like I had to pick a camp. I was like, I'm not picking. They like, I really think that my body has stayed as strong, open, and that I progressed as far as I did in yoga because I did both, mm. you know? And when I did each one, I really gave my full attention to that, you know, it wasn't really mixing, but they just complemented each other so well. And like I said, I was very attached to my practice. You know, it had to be two hours a day. It had to be, you know, like a little bit much. And I thought like that was the greatest thing ever. Like, and then I had a, and then I had a child. And Maya is um, our daughter. And I remember when she was born, just like looking at her, like, how could I ever have thought anything was more important? It was like, oh my God. And suddenly, you know, it was like when you have a a baby, a little kid, at least as the mom, you don't have time for that two hour practice every day. And maybe they don't take the rest when you want them to take the rest or, you know, so it was like, I realized how attached I was to the physical practice. And then, and of course, you know, everything I had studied is so much more than the physical. So I realized that you can practice yoga in so many ways. How I was raising my kids, 
how I would interact with Eddie, with the kids, with my friends, with my students was that's yoga, right? And and uh, it's it's like when I started studying the sutras and I, I would think about them walking around in the day and there would be moments where it was like, oh my God, look, here's the, here's this relationship or whatever and here's the sutra that supports this and it just all kind of knit together and I, I was like, I'm always doing yoga. Mm. You know, it's like it's in every decision. I mean, I'm not always that graceful, but it's it's always in my consciousness. So mm. I think that's how I keep those those threads. So you when know? You, that, that's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Oh, and when you, you were saying um, um, you were looking into your child's eyes, you realized that you, something was more important than your practice. Way. And what came up in my mind was, you know, some kleshas. So raga and attachment, and Absolutely. in the practice of ragyam, non-attachment. How did how did you realize in your own mind what was causing some form of suffering with something that was working to alleviate right. your mind? So ironic. The, the, huh? It's so ironic. I know. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, you know, I can try. I don't know. It's all such a you know. I was trying to like balance the scales. Yeah, I'm still navigating it. Absolutely. Mm. And I sort of catch myself sometimes being attached because whether it's the practice or a partner or a situation, I mean, even, you know, Eddie and I, we were together for a very long time. And then, you know, our marriage has, you know, we're, we're no longer together. And, you know, I mean, a long-term relationship, my entire adult life had been with this person and yeah, I was attached. I mean, you know, we share the kids, we have the business, we all these things, but we weren't making each other happy anymore. And it was like finding that place. You know, I looked up this, I, I was doing some reading, this is a couple years ago, right before we separated, and I read a definition of the word courage, mm. which, you know, often we think of courage like, you know, warriors and, you know, especially we've been in such a warring culture for the last, whatever, 15 years, well, long, longer than that. But anyway, um, it said it, it took it down to the to the root of the word, which is the Latin root of courage is core, which means the heart. So the true meaning of courage is having the strength to speak from the heart. And that was like, oh, my God. So, you know, when people say the truth will set you free, I, I, I didn't I really didn't know what that meant. And even like, oh, you know, move from your heart, listen to your heart. You know, and I would hear that and think like that means but inside I was like I don't have any fucking idea what that means like what what does that mean and suddenly I was in this kind of crisis where I realized like we just weren't working for each other anymore and when I read that definition of courage it really it really lined up with the word disease dis ease right when we're not at ease with who we are and what we're feeling we can literally make ourselves sick and I was starting to feel like super anxious all the time. And I remember waking up one morning and I thought, I'm like everything I'm talking about, I'm not listening to it. Huh. Like I'm not listening to what I'm out there talking about. Teaching. This is not teaching. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, I talk about disease. I'm like, I'm doing this to myself. And then it was like, I have to, like, I have to deal. You know, I have to take this courageous step, right? This next step. And, and I did, and you know, it's there's some pain on the path to freedom, right? So, but really acknowledging what is as opposed to what I wanted it to be, you know, and I was attached, obviously, you know, and of course, and in the unraveling, there's a lot of it's like snarled threads mm. trying to separate them, 
we're very connected and but we weren't making each other happy anymore and to acknowledge that and be honest about it was so liberating the anxiety went away and I was like oh my god and so throughout this this separation you know there's a term that's been tossed around a lot now this conscious uncoupling in my mind it really that's yoga Mm. so I thought okay I'm a yogi and he's a yogi we have this family we've been teaching all this you know stuff and now we're not going to be together but we need to use what we know what we share what we teach we have to apply it to this situation because if I didn't I, I was like I'll feel like a fraud you know I can't be out there talking about this shit and not even at least attempt to put it into action in my life so the last couple of years that's been like the hardest yoga practice ever you know so dealing and it's just in like the last couple months that I feel I've started to come back to myself that I'm like okay instead of like seeing the future as this scary like oh what have I done to like oh this could be exciting and new and you know, now we have, we have like a modern family, you know, cause we're still, I love Eddie. We're great friends. We still teach together, which is wonderful. He has so much amazing wisdom to share. We own a studio together. We have kids together. So we have a lot to stay together, to stay friends yeah. with. And it's been, it's been just so kind of cool to watch the relationship shift from like an intimate marriage to being deep friends, colleagues, and you know, mm. co-parents. What have been the tools on this healing journey from uh, creating, you know, friendship between you two, but more importantly, I find you connecting with yourself again. I I mean, the tools that come up for me would be, gosh, vulnerability on another profound level, communication. Yes. And what else? Well, those are those are huge, you know, and I mean, uh, I realized I couldn't do it by myself, you know, even though I have, you know, yoga, but I I found a therapist that really that worked for me, you know, and I went through three of them before I found one that I I do think it's important to if it doesn't resonate, find a different one, you know, and there's a lot of people that say they're therapists that really like I probably know more than they do. And that was very apparent. (laughs) I'm like, ooh. Okay, this is not working. You're fucked up. <laughs> I don't want you to help me. And uh, but then yeah. I got lucky and I found um, a woman and mm. she's like in her late sixties. So when I was able to bring Eddie to, he, you know, he respected her because that that was important. So she, you know, some, it's hard to see ourselves, right? I mean, that's why we do yoga, right? Mm. To try to see ourselves. Self realization means mm. getting to know yourself better. That's all it means. Mm. You know, I thought it was this lofty thing, and then it's like, oh. It's just seeing who I am. And uh, so the therapy certainly helped. But, um, you know, one thing about Eddie, he's an amazing communicator. Sometimes I was like, oh, God, do we have to talk about this? I'm like, oh, I'm tired of this. But but he was just, I'm so grateful, really, on the other side of it, that he's willing to deal. You know, and and so communication was huge. Yeah, and being vulnerable. He'll sit in the hala hala. The stula, you know, just like what is stula? Stula is like the crude, unrefined, sort of gross level. It's like it's like what it sounds like. Yeah, right. When the journey of yoga is from the stula to the sukshma, mm. and the sukshma is that refined state. Mm. Now, so Bhavani actually says beautifully. She she told me um, that yoga is really you know a refining of our character. Right? And, and it's so true because, you know, we come in a little bit thick, you know, we're again on the surface. But as we practice, if we're sincere, then it's going to refine who we are. And for me, 
Like I, I think for a long time, you know, in, in when I was younger and maybe from, you know, my family, because we all come with our story, mm-hmm. um, we didn't talk a lot about feelings. So for me, now mm. it's really important to so talk. Important. Yeah. And to, to just be honest and to <laughs> and to not be afraid for me to ask for what I need. You know, I was with Eddie for a long time, then I've been a mom for a long time, so everybody else's needs have been, you know, and I'm a teacher, and I love that. It wasn't like anybody forced me to do those things, but it's just been in the last couple of years where I'm like, what are my needs? What are they? And really, and really, and realizing, realizing that that's not a selfish place to be. We all need to take care of ourselves, especially as yoga teachers, because we're always putting energy out. Really have to remember to put it back in, because mm. your well will run dry if you don't keep filling it up. Hmm. Yeah. You know, something that, uh, well, uh, a parallel that, uh, that Eddie had said today in, in addition to how you, our yoga is refining yeah. who we are, he said, you know, oh, there's this congestion in the body and, and so much of our practice is yep. clearing out the congestion. I love that. I love yeah. that metaphor. It's so uh, on point. I do too. I mean, that was like, you know, with, with the marmas and, you know, when there's congestion, it's like it's like a little flag in your body waving this you know little, this little flag like please pay attention to me <laughs> you know cuz i mean i love the name of your podcast i talk about it all the time i use that metaphor yoga reveals what's already there right and so, you know and like like the footwork today people are like making all these faces i'm like you know, the pose didn't make your feet stiff, but it certainly reveals the stiffness in your feet. People are like, you know, because they want to blame the pose. Like, Damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shit, it's all me. Ugh. Right? But it's always taking it back, like personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right? Yoga is about mm-hmm. personal responsibility. A question that came up for me that I wanted to ask you when you were saying how yoga helps us find who we are. Yeah. Who are you? That's a good question. Who am I? I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, but I think we're always evolving, changing beings. I'm, you know, I'm a lot, I mean, I don't quite know how to answer it other, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of yoga. I'm a teacher. I'm a mother. I was a wife. I'm a friend. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I mean, all these, all these different roles that we get to be. Um, but I feel really blessed that, you know, that I get to come here and do this. I mean, my God, it's like, I love yoga. I'm so passionate about it, what it's done for me. Mm-hmm. And to be able to share that with people, oh my God. I mean, it's, it's like a dream. It's like a dream. It's crazy. So, and you know, we have kids and they're teenagers and my daughter's like, she's going to be a senior. So we're, now we're starting to look at college and things like this. And something that we've always tried to teach them is to just pay attention to the things that you like in your life to the things that resonate that make you feel good about yourself and see if if you can follow that towards say a life path because whatever you do I mean obviously we live in a society we have to work right we have to have jobs we have money I mean that's we all have to do that but how much nicer if it can be something that you enjoy going that it's not really work is it you know so that having my kids like that's been that's been a big thing you know we talked a little bit about communication my kids are so um, aware. They're so self-aware. They, you know, they've gone to a Waldorf school. So we, we're, yeah, we're like total Waldorfs, <laughs> Waldorfians, Waldorfians, Waldorfians. <laughs> and uh, but but they're able to express themselves. Like I I I couldn't touch where they go. You know, and even like with me and Eddie separating. You know, the kids have been in therapy. We've gone as a family because I don't want them 
to hold on to this stuff and they'll have to deal in 20 years like oh this I want them to deal with it now and it's just it's just so cool to be with them and you know ask them how they're feeling and they can really articulate they can express themselves so I mean I, I don't take that as like oh yeah what a great parent I am but I'm like how awesome that at least you know what I'm struggling with now I can hopefully alleviate some of their suffering because right? mm. that's yeah and and help them express themselves. You know, when I was younger, my parents were divorced, and I didn't find yoga till I was nineteen. I'm mean, young, twenty five, and yeah. the yoga was what helped me unwind and see this bundle of thought. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was that's beautiful that your children have that yeah. opportunity. To, it really is to express. Yeah, to learn and that it's okay to express. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. No, there I'm. My son, I mean, it's, he's, you know, my, my daughter can, can certainly express, she's a little more reserved, but my son, like he's, he's, you know, he's like the Buddha kid. He's just so out and vulnerable and it's just, he's 15 years old. He's a boy, you know, it's like for a teenage boy, like when we have issues, cause he's a teenager, you know, shit happens. They drive me nuts. (laughs) And if I get upset with him, he doesn't like that, you know, and he'll come back and be like, mom. Like, are we good? Are we good? I'm like, I love you. I always love you. There, that's never an issue. And then he's like, come on, let's hug it out. You know, and I'm like, I love this kid. Oh, my God. I mean, just to, yeah. He's wow. he's a teacher. You're right. Yeah. My children are my teachers. Yeah. They have been, again, raising kids is another mm-hmm. way to, to do a yoga practice. And Patabi Joyce told me very early on that two of the highest forms of yoga practice or being in a relationship and having children. And I didn't get it until I did. So I meant, so like I said, as soon as Maya was born, I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like my heart was just blown open. I was like, shit, I thought I loved a third series, but look at this, you know? Was, I, like, I love third series. <laughs> and I do, child. but damn, this is like 25th series right here. Well, so how do you stay in a state of studentship in your life, whether it is, you know, textual study or seeing someone, you know, teacher, how, yeah. how do you stay student? Um, that's a great question. And for someone always, of your caliber, you know, right, right. I understand it, it, it is difficult, like certainly to find an asana teacher that, you know, that can teach me something, Yes, you know. Um, but they're out there. They're, mm-hmm. they're definitely out there. There's plenty more senior, you know, I'm 46 years old. There's plenty more older senior teachers, you know, and I've been really lucky. Like, you know, I've lived with Eddie a long time. He's a great teacher. He's really taught me a lot, not even about my practice, but how to teach, you know, it's really, cause back then, you know, when I started teaching, there was no, there really weren't teacher trainings. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing. It was like, I kind of apprenticed with him and just got in there. And so I was really fortunate. I, I learned a lot from him, but, um, I love the Zen Buddhist, you know, the beginner's mind, like that, to, to hold that beginner's mind, to always stay open. Even like I said at the beginning of the class, you know, I want you to forget everything you know about yoga, you know, and people, some people bristle with that, like, you know, I've done so much, what are you talking about? I know everything. Um, and it's like, just open your mind, you know, because if we come in closed, we, we're not even open to the possibilities. And yoga is so much about opening to the possibilities. And we never know where that's going to come. You know, it might come from you and I having a conversation. It might come from a lady I meet at the store. I mean, it like we, we never know where new information is going to come in. So always remaining a student is huge. Because if you don't, like, you, you, you stop learning. And for me, you know, when, when Guruji passed away, like, I was really sad, obviously. I mean, I loved him. And I was like, okay... 
Um, but he was my teacher. And in some ways it was very liberating for me when he passed because, you know, the Ashtanga community love them, but it can be a little strict. It can be a little bit rigid. You know, there's sometimes the mentality um, of this is the only way. And I so don't believe that. There's so many different ways to do something that I felt like, okay, well, my teacher's passed on. I don't need to stay in this scene anymore. I, I, I felt liberated in my teaching. I felt like I could really... Branch out. D- yeah, do some different things, you know, and it, from experience, you know, from practicing them. Um, you know, and I, like when I go to these conferences, I mean, I always love to take class with Richard. I mean, he's just, he's such a gem. You know, and there and there are some wonderful senior Iyengar teachers that I like, and you know, it's 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 relationship. It's you know, it's who I want to be with. But um, it's funny. Very recently, I met Bhavani's sutra teacher, who her name is Rama Jyoti Vernon, and like she's amazing. And it was so cool to meet her after so many years of knowing Bhavani, and you know, Bhavani really inspired me with the sutras and. Then to meet Rama and be like, and, and to see where, you know, Bhavani had gotten so much of her teaching. It's that lineage. It's really passing it down. And and I was like, I, I, I felt very excited for the first time in a long time. And I was like, oh, I, I will study with this woman again. Like that was, it was awesome. Like I felt re-inspired. And, you know, even in my own practice, you know, I, I always do yoga. I always practice yoga and the asanas. But, you know, over the last couple of years with the separation, it was like, it, yoga was almost, I won't say obligatory, but like I, I, I just knew that I had to do it. It was a refuge for me. It helped me a lot, but it wasn't as joyful as it had been. And in the last, really, just I think since April, just in the last couple months, um, I feel so much more inspired by my practices. It's just so cool to kind of watch how those waves go, you know, but I never stopped doing it, but now it's like a joy. It's like I'm so stoked to get back in the room and and just kind of feeling more like myself again. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I came out of mm-hmm. this dark place and and there and there is light. So yeah, so I feel I feel really good these days. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank so you. How, how is it that you, just as much we talked about keeping the thread yeah. of lineage alive. How to how to question it? How how do you really? I mean, how do you keep the lineage of of the yoga alive yeah, through your students. Good, I think that's a different question because yeah, you're is. living the thread. You're keeping it alive in yourself yeah. through your influence and allowing other people to be like, oh, this is a yeah. beautiful example on how to, for myself included, on yeah. how I can be. Mm-hmm. How do you pour yeah. lineage into students? Well, that's that's a good uh, question, especially because you know I have studied several different systems very in-depth. I mean, really, Ashtanga Yoga, Iyengar Yoga, I put a lot of time into each of those. And they each have their own set of, you know, rules, for lack of a better word, and, you know, their own beliefs. And so when I teach people, it's like, I try to be very clear and identify where what I'm teaching came from. And I really got that from Eddie. He's very good that way. I mean, he's, he's it's unbelievable how he knows, like, he, he knows where he learned everything. Sometimes I forget, and he's like, come on, you know. Kind of guess it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, uh, it it's so important to acknowledge where you learned what you learned. And I, I forget it's one of the yamas. I think um, not taking credit where it's undeserved, right? So it's very important. You know, this we didn't invent yoga. We can't improve on yoga. 
but you know we can certainly give it our own flavor and our own authenticity as teachers I think that's very important I don't, I don't want my students to sound exactly like me I want them to have their own voice there's nothing worse than that fluffy I hate that. I hate that. Like, who are you? I just talked to you outside and you were like super cool. And like now, all that ooey gooey. I can't stand that stuff. I'm sorry if there's ooey gooeys out there listening, but I can't stand that. I want authenticity. I want to know that when you and I have a conversation and I hear your voice, it's the same voice I'm going to hear when I go into the class. Have the conversation. Yeah. And I don't want, and that's how I am. I want to be authentic. You know, the things I talk about, like that'll be the same me when I step out of the room. And so acknowledging where you learn, what you learn, it, it, it doesn't diminish what you have to offer. And I think sometimes people are, are afraid of that. We think that if, oh, I got it from somebody else, maybe they're going to not want to be with me and they're going to want to go study there. But, you know, w- when you transmit information, you're hearing it like from me. So you make that connection. But then there's also those back connections. So to know where it comes from. Um, for me is important. So, you know, when, when we're doing certain whatever work, it's like, okay, this is this is definitely from Mashtanga Yoga. This is definitely more of an anger thing. This I learned from Richard. This from Patricia Walden. This from Eddie, you know. And I, I do think that, that that helps to sort of hold that thread. And I encourage, you know, students to check out other teachers, you know, see what's out there. Follow that, those different threads. And, and what resonates with you you keep it. You know what doesn't resonate? Don't keep it. But mm. you know, make it make it your own. Mm. You, know, you you and you have to practice. I yeah. mean, question a teacher that doesn't have a practice or a teacher. Mm. Yeah, you know, because there's this whole thing now, like oh, I just came up with this, or you know, some some of the things that I see being taught, I think. I wonder if that teacher ever did what they're asking their students to do right now. Like, that is, like, insane looking. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's like we, again, it's that we, we get in this thing where we think we have to please our students, you know. And, and it's it's moved so far away from the original, you know. Intention. Yeah, intention. And, I mean, originally yoga was one-on-one. Yeah. There were classes. And you didn't get to pick your teacher. They picked you. You would beg. And grovel and say, please teach me. Not like the shopping mall of yoga. Oh, I don't like this person. They're plugging me. I'm going to go over here. You know, it is very American. I'm not saying it's bad too, because it's good to check things out. But at a certain point, you got to pick something. Yeah. Stick with it. Learn it. Follow mm. it. And, mm. you know, if it resonates, great. And if it doesn't, okay, then try some. But give it, you know, give it some time. And not like a few weeks. Like, give it at least a year. You know, Eddie would be like, give it 10 years. You know? A little extreme, but give it a year. Yeah, give it, give it a year. <laughs> give it a year. Check it out. You know, really live it, breathe it, study it, yeah. own it, and then you can say, "Well, okay, that was cool," or you know, "Okay, maybe I want to go in this direction." Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your yoga studio and where are you it. located? I live on the North Shore of Maui. Oh my goodness. Yes. It is beautiful. <laughs> no one ever says anything but something like that. No one's ever been like, ooh, Maui. I don't know. Not fun. Um, Terrible place. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Feel very blessed to be there. And the cool thing oh. is, is there's been like an Ashtanga yoga scene there for many, many years. You know, it was one of the first places that Patabi Joyce taught outside of India. He was in Encinitas, California and Maui. Mm-hmm. So it's had a very long history with, you know, and even Patabi Joyce came and blessed our studio when he taught mm-hmm. him. It's uh, so special. It was really... So you've had the studio for a while. Yeah, we've had the studio. So we've owned the property since 95. 
January. And when we bought it, it, you know, our studio is on the property where we live. We bought a piece of property that was five acres of raw land. So we're completely off the grid and we built our house. Everything that is there now, you know, we created. So we're off the grid. We get our water from a well. We, you know, use propane for the fridge, for the hot water heaters, for the stove. So, you know, and the only utility we have is phone, which we didn't even have for the first 10 years. There were no phones down our road. It's a very bumpy dirt road. And um, the studio, it's funny because when we built the studio, we were living in a teeny little cabin, like 200 square feet. And we built this like 800 square foot studio. And it was always Eddie's dream to have the studio. And people said like, you're living in a teeny little room and you built this giant studio. Like, why don't you live in the studio? And he was like, this is my dream. (laughs) And and we were living in California and we're actually teaching at Yoga Works and living in California. Then I got pregnant with Maya and we decided let's move to Maui. Like I didn't want to be in, in California. So we moved to Maui. We started teaching and Gurji had said to us, you know, don't advertise, which is really terrible information. <laughs> it's really not good um, advice. Like, don't ever advertise. Oh, okay. So we actually listened to that. You know, we're in the oh. middle of nowhere. <laughs> we're down a road. But it was amazing how word of mouth filled that room, you know, and and uh, it was awesome. I mean, we taught six days a week there for 10 years, and it, it's a beautiful room. There's no electrical wiring in the room. It's all Alaskan yellow cedar. One wall is windows that face the ocean. One wall is windows that look up to Haleakala, which is the volcano. Mm. We have a wall of Iyengar yoga wall ropes. We have 11 sets of those. We have 10 pelvic swings. Like, it, it's such a fully equipped, beautiful studio. It's a temple. I mean, it really is. It's such, I, I remember, you know, whenever I go away for a long time, I come back in that room, I just cry. Mm. It's just it's just such a special room, and it's been completely dedicated to yoga. You know, the art in there, and just, and just the, the <laughs> years of practice and sweat and tears and, you know, people's energy. I always thank people for that. Like, thank you for leaving, you know, your energy in this space mm. because, it, yeah, it's, it's a really special space. One by one. You take it. <laughs> yeah. Last question. So come to Maui. Yes, come to Maui. Last question. Mm. One golden nugget of wisdom that you would offer to the listeners and the human beings on the path. Oh, gosh. There's so many. What would be my nugget? Um, stay true to yourself, right? Don't doubt yourself. I mean, that's been my biggest thing. You know, like, be... Be yourself. You, you can't be anybody else. So be yourself and it that be, be vulnerable. Be open to the possibilities. So there's a beautiful line in a Rumi poem that says, open your arms if you want to be held. You know, it's like, we, you know, we, we, we get afraid and just, yeah, just be open because mm-hmm. love is there, you know, and just open your arms and it, it's going to come in. Be yourself and then everything else is going to fall into place. Mm-hmm. God bless. God bless. Nikki, thank, thank you, you so much. Such a My effortless, beautiful conversation revolving around what what you're so inspired by, what lights me up, and I think what uh, uh, drives our listeners to continue to evolve. Fantastic. Thank you so much. My Namaste. Namaste. Bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and we have so much love for you, our yoga community. 
If you feel inspired by Nikki's devotion and respect for the practice of yoga and you want to study with her, go to mayayogastudio.com and click on schedule to find trainings, workshops, and events throughout the calendar year. I myself am so excited to head to Maui with Eddie Modestini and Nikki Doan at the end of October for a month, and what a gift it would be to share an experience of yoga studies with you. Hope to see you there. Until next time, keep breathing and loving life. Namaste. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.